Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. Listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the Lennon and McCartney of Bigfoot, though they're arguably Harrison and Star, Cliff and Bobo. Here we are again, Bobo, back on my porch in my backyard outside of Sandy, Oregon, in the woods. It's August. We're hanging out, looking at Mountain Hood, um, sitting underneath the canopy. It is a lovely day at the end of a very busy weekend. So welcome back to you and welcome back to all our listeners. I got a little PTSD sitting here under this canopy. Well, you know, it hasn't rained for weeks or actually it rained last weekend, but there's no water pooling up in the canopy, so you're safe. It's still, it's a little nerve-wracking. <laughs> I'm glad your computer survived. Oh, I couldn't believe it. I thought I was fried. <laughs> Well, still, so l- listeners may or may not know, what brought you up to Portland? Yeah, the Oregon Bigfoot Festival brought me up. J.C. Mercer put it on. Um, they said they had 7,000 people last year and more this year, so there was an excess of 7,000 people there. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I mean, we, we were inside of a building, so we didn't have to uh, like be subjected to the throngs of people. Right. But, um, you know, we did do two sellout talks about what, how many people were there, 100 or something? It was 150 each time. 150 each time. So that was kind of cool. Um, we got to meet a lot of really interesting, fun people, heard a ton of Bigfoot stories, as we always do. But um, outside our little oasis... Um, just people, people everywhere, just walking through this tiny little park called Glen Auto Park, right on the Sandy River. Um, it, but man, what a scene that was! It looked like a like a subway station in New York at rush hour. Right, it was like the Hong Kong protests or something. Yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy outside. It was a, it was nicer than the Hong Kong po- protests. Don't get me wrong, you know we're we're a civilized folk. You know we're not throwing bottles or anything right. like that. All that stuff was happening downtown in Portland, apparently. <laughs> what was crazy was it was mid-August and seeing all the people wearing um, hoodies. and I mean, it was the coldest day in recorded history for Portland on that particular day. It has been a peculiar August, to say the least. The, I mean, usually this time of year, it's 90 degrees every single day, like every day. Right. And uh, it rained last weekend, I believe. Like, uh, yeah, it rained last weekend. And I think in that one weekend, they got more rain in those two days than they have any previous August cumulative ever. Wow. Yeah. Oh, so it poured. It poured. I, was, I wasn't here. I wasn't here. That's one of the things I guess we can talk about. I was actually in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. UP. Yeah, Upers. UP. And w- you and I will both be there next weekend. Yeah. So that when this episode gets released, we're going to be in the UP of Michigan somewhere. Well, it's not somewhere. It's Saul St. Marie, is it? Well, that's somewhere, isn't it? <laughs> particular place well it's kind of nowhere in a way and it's, oh, it's, it's really far out there it dude it's it's you get out there and there's this giant huge hotel casino like i only went outside once last time we were there for four days you're just in a self-contained city basically a giant casino with restaurants and 
what have you, bars, dance clubs. It's got everything a city has, including air pollution. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that bad, though, you know? Well, they, what, what, I, what, of course, I mean, if, if nobody in our audience has been there, is that they allow smoking in the casino. You know, it's one, and being from, you know, the West Coast, you can't smoke inside out in the West Coast. You can at casinos. I guess you can at casinos, but uh, I don't know. I mean, the one that on Chinook, you know, the, one, the Chinook gig we did, that wasn't uh, that bad there. You know what? I was shocked at Chinook Winds. There was, like, I was like, are we in the smoke-free part of the casino? They said, no, just people don't smoke as much anymore. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, but I remember uh, the the air pollution at the um, the Paracon, the Michigan Paracon, which of course is this weekend, and um, we did it a couple years ago. That was a scene. What do you remember from that gig? Just uh, I didn't see it, but just the people outside in the big circle. Oh, I saw <laughs> it. It was pretty amazing. I was outside taking pictures, uh, taking photographs, you know, um, with this woman. Um, she want she's a professional photographer. She wanted to do a couple like portraits of me or whatever. So um, we're outside at that time and. This one woman, I, I didn't catch her name, and, you know, she might even listen for all we know. I have no idea, but, you know, she, she dressed the part, this long, flowy sort of gown thing. And I guess the deal was that she was taking about 150, 175 people outside to the parking lot and to, uh, quote-unquote, sing down the UFOs. It's like, all right, well, I want to check this out, right? So uh, I'm out there taking the pictures and looking all rugged and doing the best I can with that, which is pretty sad and pathetic when I look back. It's not really like that at all. But um, but, but over there, I, I look over in the parking lot, and there's... 150, 175 people all facing inwards in this giant mob-like circle. And she's in the middle of the circle, and I don't know, it seemed to me she's standing on top of something, maybe a vehicle, maybe a, a some, some sort of hidden bench I couldn't see because of all the people there. And her hands are straight up in the air, and she's looking up into the night sky, and she's singing and, and waving her arms, and everybody else is doing it too. And it, it was it was one of these sights that I had never even thought about seeing and i saw it it was pretty weird man i've seen a lot of stuff like that because i live in humboldt yeah <laughs> yeah i only visit humboldt so I, I haven't been exposed to such levels of weirdness but it was awesome yeah. i was pretty excited about it and i giggled of course and laughed and and by the way they failed no <laughs> ufos came was the woman that took your photos was that Allie Cotton? Oh yeah, that was her. That's exactly who it was. That's right. She's awesome, dude. She took some. She's like, come on, let's go get some pictures. Let's get some pictures. And I was like. I'm good, I'm good, but I really wasn't because I didn't have any publicity photos or 8x10s, and she took me outside, and she just, next thing I know, like a week later, I got these things in email with these beautiful photos. Yeah. And I was like, well, what's that going to cost? You know, she's like, you can just have them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was, I was shocked. I was like, wow, because it's like the best photos I've ever had. Yeah, they're great photos. I just wasn't, you know, I, I felt kind of fat and gross at the time <laughs> and whatever else, you know. Uh, so I, I don't think I look very good, but but she did a great job capturing how bad I looked. Well, that stress <laughs> to do what the museum's doing because you lost some weight. Yeah, oh, I know, exactly. There's nothing like stress to make you stop eating and, you know, like heavy night sweats and, you know, crying. <laughs> <laughs> that causes me to stress eat. <laughs> it does the opposite for me. It does the opposite for me. Although it does uh, stop me from moving around much, you know, kind of makes me sedentary and depressed. Right. But, uh, but you know, the, now that well, now that the museum's open, I feel a little bit better because at least I'm not bleeding money anymore. Right. You know, because I had budgeted, you know, for five months of build out, and it took ten, so that was a little stressful. Um, you know, because and my all my job is working on the museum, and there's no money coming in yet. But we've been open for two weeks and a couple of days now, and so far the community has been coming out and su- showing their support and love, and uh, you know, buying our little trinkets and stuff. And the museum's not even done yet. 
No. No, we've got like one-fifth of the building open. Um, but what's really nice is that when people go around, they look at all the artifacts on the walls and all the displays we have, you know, and all the tchotchkes and stuff, they go, wow, this is really cool, Cliff. I'm so glad you did this. They go, man, this isn't even it. And they go, really? And then I start explaining our, my vision and what we're going to be doing in the back room, and they get even more excited. You right. know, only like two people um, have, have come in and said, this is it? And so, well, right. no, this isn't it, but this is it so far. And, you know, like that kind of attitude. Right. But, you know, two people out of the thousands that we've come through the door so far, that's not bad. I get more hate than that on Facebook on a, on a picture <laughs> of me and my dog. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> yeah, so the museum is up and running, and uh, I'm, I've stopped bleeding money. I'm not necessarily making any. Um, that'll kind of be up to the community to see how much that they support my endeavor and, um, you know, how fast I can get the exhibit halls open. But right now we're on track to open them up by hopefully in, by early October if everything goes right. So That's not bad. That's what, only six weeks, seven six weeks? Six weeks, yeah. We've got our work cut out for us, but um, I've got a good team. Uh, Scott Minton a, a, has a great um, aesthetic vision, and uh, it, it, with him and uh, us working and with our guys that we've got um, swinging hammers for us every day. It should be pretty good. Yeah, I've seen the vision. It's going to be, it's, there's going to be nothing else like it. It's going to be the best one by far. I mean, Dave Picard's is really cool down there at Expedition Bigfoot, and Lauren Coleman's in Portland, Maine. That's cool, but yours is a whole other level. Well, that's just it. I'm not comparing myself to those guys or Mike Ruggs or any of these other museums, really, because I'm doing something a little different, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I like about this so far is that all the museums out there are a little different, so different that it's hard to compare them. Right. It is apples and oranges, no matter how you, you stack them next to each other. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that exhibition Bigfoot a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, that has a very Disney-esque feel, and I, yeah. Dave, I told, Dave Melinda told me they were going for that. Yeah. You know, like, you know how if you've been to one of the Disneylands or Disney World or whatever, um, while you're waiting in line for the ride, you're kind of on the ride already in a way because right. of the atmosphere. Yeah, that's what Dave has really tried to encompass. And then, of course, Lauren's museum um, has a smaller floor space than Dave's, but, man, he's got a lot of stuff in there. So if you know what you're looking at, he has uh, just amazing artifacts and treasures. Yeah. You know, like you're looking, oh, my God, that, that's actually Sir Edmund Hillary's you know, journal or whatever it was. Or right. Like amazing stuff. So and, and then Mike Ruggs is like the little museum that could, man. Yeah. That guy is just he's still going after all these years. For how and, tiny and, it is, it's amazing what's in there. Yeah. Yeah. He has really packed it full of a lot of cool stuff. And yes, talk about persistence. I mean, that guy wins that prize for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and he's such a nice guy. I haven't seen him in years. I'd like to go down there and check it out again. Yeah, I got to stop. Well, I've stopped by a few times, but it was closed. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess they had some health issues, him, him or his wife. I heard something about that, but I, I hadn't heard too much about it, so I, I couldn't, I, yeah. not enough to verify it at least. Yeah, I just drove by, and it was stopped, and it was locked, so I just kept going. Mm, right, right. Well, I, I hope he's doing okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I really do like him. Yeah, Mike Rugg's a good guy. So any uh, have any good witnesses come to the museum? Like give you some info? Tons, tons. Um, I, I would, you know, like I said, we've been open for a, two weeks and a couple of days. I've probably spoken to, not exaggerating, 150 eyewitnesses from the local area, right. just the local area. You know, and when I think about, you know, we always talk about, okay, well, BFRO and this database or that database has so many reports, and we always think, yeah, like they probably have one percent of the number of reports out there. Yeah, I don't like, think that even. I, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if 1% is too generous, honestly. Yeah. yeah, just the stuff that comes in. And sure, a lot of it is like knocks or vocalizations right. that the witness can identify. And, you know, who knows how versed any of, those, any of these people are with the sounds of the woods at night, you know? 
but um, but but some of the people I have met are just fantastic. I've I've seen a couple great footprint photographs yeah. uh, from up by Timothy Lake. Um, this one witness came in, and he and his friends apparently have been researching an area uh, that's very very close to where we got footage on one of my expeditions last year. You know, and the footage isn't anything good. So anybody out there listening, don't think I'm holding out on you. It's it's you know two blips on a mediocre thermal imager that. You know, that the people watching these blips thought it was me and um, someone else, but that wasn't me and someone else. It was some, it was most likely two Sasquatches. Right. Um, yeah. So it's not, n- nothing to write home about. But, um, but yeah, these guys worked this spot about two or three miles away from that spot and at Lindsay Lake, you know. Yeah. And then uh, these guys have been pulling casts out of the area. They showed me like three or four casts that they've been pulling out of this area. Um, and they're not really great, greatly defined casts. But they do look like the right shape and right size. And one of the messier casts that I don't think most people would look twice at, I'm convinced is a Bigfoot track. How big are they about? Oh, they get about 14, 14 and a half, something yeah. like that. They're not real big, you know, but they're pretty standard size. But the really cool one is the one that most people wouldn't even look twice at. I think it's a half cast. Mm. Yeah, this thing was going up a hill or whatever, and it pushed down real hard. And it's just the right shape and just the right size. The 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 morphology is there. You know, you don't see the toes real strongly, but they're suggested in the cast. I, I think these guys have something going on over here. Well, it's like they know what they're doing. They're casting stuff that doesn't show up that great in a tr- cast, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you got to have eyes to see, you know, and unless you put your eyes on a lot of casts, you you can look at a blob and you can say, well, that's nothing. But if you've, if you've looked at a few hundred casts and you look at that same blob, you might be able to pull out some stuff that other people don't right. see. Right. Yeah, and I think these guys have it going on. Oh, and Connor Anderson. You know Connor? You know Connor. He's that bearded guy. I don't know if he was on the trip with you or Meldrum. He lives in oh. Colorado. You talked to him in Colorado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he does Colorado Sasquatch. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, Connor. Yeah, real sharp guy. Real sharp guy. Yeah. And um, he's been working. One of, he's the guy that got the footage, by the way, at Lindsay okay. Lake, right? Um, he went out to the spot just this past weekend, like today, I think, uh, yesterday, and he found possible tracks. Um, and the same spot, right where these guys were working. Is Lindsay Lake? Uh, no, the, the road to Lindsay Lake is actually closed right now. There was a, a landslide or something. It, it knocked it out between um, our June trip and our July trip. Do you want to say Lindsay Lake on the podcast? I can because it's a nickname. You won't find it on any map anywhere. Oh, okay, that's right. Duh. Yeah. Terry Lindsay. Yeah, we named it after her because she had that first encounter there. That right, trip. right, right. Yeah, so it's kind of a secret spot, but that's the thing. If you give your spots a nickname... You can say it as much as you want. Exactly. <laughs> and only the people in the know. And the great thing about it is that this lake actually doesn't have a name. It's not really even really a lake, really. It's more, it's like, more like a big pond. Something like that, yeah. So anyway, yeah, a lot of stuff going on, and a lot of witnesses are coming in the door. I've, um, one guy, oh, some people are donating some really interesting things to the museum. Um, this one gentleman came in, and he was talking about this trip that he took back in the 1970s to uh, Mount Jefferson, like this backpacking trip. And... Out there in the snow, he found footprints and a handprint in the 70s. And he took photographs of the handprint, but not the footprint for some reason. Um, and on, on Polaroid, you know, those instamatic yeah. sort of Polaroid things. And he gave me the original Polaroids and gave me the original Polaroid camera. No way. And a bunch of other photographs from that same trip, you know, all 70s out and stuff in the backcountry. And uh, we're going to make a great display out of that, just like historical local stuff and First off, who carries one of those kind of cameras on a backpacking trip in the snow? Uh-huh, right. they're big and bulky. They are. And I, I didn't think those pictures would last that long. I thought they were only supposed to last like 20, 30 years and then they fade away or something. I don't know. I mean, 
I, I, but looking at it, like, how would they study that? You'd have to wait 20 or 30 years to find well, out. Is it, a, is it like a, is it like, is it like Tom Shea's cast, the print? It, it's, it, kinda, kind of. It's in the snow. You can see where the fingers went down, and you can see the part of the hand impression. It's, right. it's kind of unusual looking, and, and some of it is also blocked by, by something in the picture. But I think it's legit, you know? It's hard to say, but I think it's legit. Right. It's cool. They wouldn't go to all that trouble to give you that stuff if it wasn't legit, I don't think. No, no. A lot of these people are saying, yeah, this stuff's been sitting around my house for decades. I haven't done anything with it. Right. Several people told me about, oh, I've got this cast. Yeah, the, the so-and-so, you know, my friend got this cast back in the day. I haven't seen it for a decade, but I think it's in the garage. If I find it, I'll bring it in. So, yeah, absolutely. That's why we're doing the museum. Right. To chronicle the history of Bigfooting um, and to you know, kind of push it in a good direction. Right, right. Yeah. That is good. Yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, we're looking for donations. If any, like, say, have something Bigfooty lying around your house that yep, you, you don't really care about, or you want it to be put to an educational use, by all means, yeah, write me. Yeah, NorthAmericanBigfootCenter.com. Send me an email. I want to know about it. I want to get my hands on those sort of things and put it to use for educating the public. And so much of that subject gets lost. I mean, you hear it all the time. Like, it was in the garage or the attic. I don't know what happened to it. You hear that? Right. Something that's culturally significant, you know, and. Mm-hmm. The Bigfoot realm. Yeah. It's yeah. even more, way more important once they're discovered and recognized. Yeah, yeah. The history of how this animal gets discovered is going to be one of the most uh, complex and convoluted tales probably ever told in biology. And psychology. And, and sociology. Psychology. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bigfooting is a multidisciplinary uh, thing, subject. Yeah. You've been doing some filming, some new stuff. I have been doing some filming and whatnot. Um, I, yeah, uh, I've got, you know, obviously I went down, or not obviously, I talked about it before. I went to Alaska in June to did, did some thing on, you know, Bigfoot and then lake monsters. But then this past week, um, I can't say too much about it. There's some NDA or whatever associated with it. But I can say I went to Southern California, the desert, uh, actually the mountains on the fringes of the desert, and did some filming down there. Um, and, man, it was 117 degrees <laughs> when I was filming outside. I talked to you that day. You're all, I just got in from 10 hours in 117 degree heat. Yeah. And you were just so, you sounded so, I mean, after all the getting beat up at the museum and yeah. traveling and then going back down to L.A., going out in the desert, 117 for a 10-hour day. Mm-hmm. My God. And those are my only days off. I haven't had a day <laughs> off since the middle of July. I'm working seven days a week right now either at the museum or if I'm on the road, I'm on the road. It's like, oh, but you got to go to Southern California. I said, no, no, I got to sit my ass on a plane for 12 hours and, like, dealt with airports and plane transfers and delays. And then I woke up at, you know, you know 7.30 in the morning and filmed for 10 hours. And I got three and a half, four hours before I fell asleep, you know, after filming an 117-degree day. And then I had to go home, got back at 11.30, midnight, and then I was in the museum the next morning. Right. You know, it's not a luxurious life I've, I'm living right now. I just want a weekend, honestly. Right, right. <laughs> but I probably won't get one of those for a while. But filming was cool. I got to meet a cool guy. His name was Cliff as well. Um, yeah, so the, I, I think this, this series is going to come out in the fall. I'm not really sure. I don't even know the name of it, honestly. So um, I, it's in my contract somewhere, but I don't even know what that is. So, you know, yeah, again, I can't talk too much about it. I'm not even sure what channel it's on. I looked at some release dates for new shows, but I didn't see any of those... Uh Bigfoot shows listed coming out anytime soon. Oh, really? There's supposed to be quite a few of them. I think. I, that, yeah, I don't know when they're coming out though. Yeah, John Tenney. You know John. Yeah, he was yeah. he was telling me that um, he knows of no fewer than eleven, like ghost dash Bigfoot dash paranormal dash right. you know whatever Crypto. shows. 
coming out this season, most of which are going to be on Travel Channel. Yeah, Travel Channel is going big. Yeah, yeah. I want to see that. There's going to be a cool Dogman show. There's another. Just on Dogman? Well, it's going to be like the main focus, pretty much. Really? Dogman and Bigfoot. And then there's another show that's based out of that SETI Ranch in Utah. Or okay. Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalker Ranch. There you go. Okay. There's another show based out of there, and they got some weird Bigfoot Dogman stuff. <laughs> So yeah, it's gonna be. I don't have cable or anything or satellite, but I don't know. I think I'm gonna be tempted to get it if any of these shows are any good. Oh, I just want to see Moneymaker's show. Oh, that's dude. That's worth buying satellite just for that. Yeah, I don't care about any of the other shows. Like, I mean, people, you know, doing what we did or whatever they think is new in the realm or whatever. That's fine. I mean, I wouldn't watch our show. I don't think if I was on it, honestly. Right. But but knowing Matt like I do, I would. I I want to see his show. Dude, that's. It, his is gonna be the best one. Oh and yeah, not just because he's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to Matt's show, and I'm, I'm I hope it happens for him. I, I I don't know how far the progress has gone or anything like that, but from from what I hear, and I only hear you know vague rumors whispered on the winds, you know, um, that, like apparently it might be moving forward, and that would be that'll be an exciting thing for Matt. And I'm really happy for. Yeah, him. they're yeah, they're doing. I mean, because we have the same agent. Yeah, luckily we, I know nothing, so I can't I can't comment so much on it. Right, right. Ignorance is bliss, and once again, I'm the happiest guy I know. But you hear all this stuff, but you can't say anything. So, well, no one listens to the podcast. We're probably okay. I know, right? <laughs> Self-aggrandizing a little bit there. No, no, it's okay because all the people listening, like, uh, you know, they're saying he just called us nobodies. Well, no, I didn't. Remember, you're you are the people who are. If you are in the woods, you're the you're gonna hear the trees fall. You know, you're you're the nobodies that hear the tree fall. You know, right? <laughs> the tree falls in the woods, and nobody's there to hear it. Does it make a noise? <laughs> Well, yeah, if, if the nobodies who listen to our show are, you know, <laughs> they hear the noise. Yeah, look, there's any high-powered TV executives listening. No. Just it, Keith just Keith Hoffman. Keith Hoffman, right, <laughs> right. we got to get him on here. Oh, yeah, we, we, you know, he was at dinner with us as you, you were here, and he, we asked him, and he said he'd be happy to come on. We just have to schedule it. If you guys saw any of those behind-the-scenes specials for Finding Bigfoot, it's always hosted by uh, Keith Hoffman, our executive producer from Animal Planet, who's just an awesome, awesome guy. He's got some funny stories, but he's pretty diplomatic. He, he might be a boring guy on here just because he, he so professionally wouldn't spill the beans on us. Oh, yeah, he will. He will. <laughs> <laughs> he loves us. He'll do that. Yeah, because he has a, such a different perspective. Because, you know, we, we always tell the story about how they had to fly the New York suits out to calm down the Bigfooters at the beginning of right. second season because we were we were refusing to lie and do all that stuff on the show. Well, he was there. You know, he remembers that meeting, and yeah. I didn't even know him from Adam at the time. I didn't care right. who these people were. All I knew is that they were stopping me from Bigfooting. Right. Uh, but he was there, and he has such a different perspective on all that. So if we told our story and then he told his side of the story, it seemed like two different stories. Yeah, he thought I was the troublemaker. <laughs> he thought I was going to be the hard one to get along with on this show. <laughs> oh, he learned different. <laughs> Hilarious. Hilarious. But you were, you were in the woods recently. Yeah, I just did a week out in Mount Lassen. So what was the occasion? Like, what, what brought you out there and what happened? Um, I always want, you know, I'd never been inside the National Park, and it's really rad. It's the only place, I guess this is the only, the only place in the world where four geologic zones converge. Hmm. And it's the southernmost volcano in the... Cascade range like Mount St. Helens, Mount Rainier, and all that. Yeah, and uh, right below Mount Shasta and east of there. So my girlfriend used to go there as a kid all the time, and she's been talking about going there, going there, and it's like, yeah, we should do it. And I had that travel trailer I bought, that little seventeen footer. I didn't know you got a trailer. I bought it like shoot two and a half years ago. Have I seen it? No, I never use it. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, let's take the trailer because we we're, were supposed to go to Four Corners in September do like a three-week trip down there. Yeah. So I had to go to that conference, the Mile High Conference in Den outside of Denver. Oh, right, right, right. So the was Pilates and Dennis Fold. For exactly. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dave Pilates from Missing 411. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, UFOs, Bigfoots, crypto, paranormal. I wanted to do that one, but um, that gig I had, that filming gig in June, right. They didn't tell me when it was yet, and I had to keep my dates open, and they didn't want to take a chance that I wouldn't be able to go. So I That's didn't. why I'm there. I know. I got cut. <laughs> I got cut. Maybe I can do it next year. I'd like to. Hopefully, they do such a good job they don't invite you back. No, hopefully, they invite <laughs> me back, too. Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being selfish. I'm trying to weasel clip out of it gets me in. <laughs> That's called a power move. Right. You can't come Bobo's here. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, I turned Bobo into one of your missing cases there, Dave. Yeah, then my girlfriend said every time she went over to go wash dishes down at the creek about 80 yards away, we were out, and uh, we were actually on private timberland. We were kind of trespass camping, mm -hmm. but there was no one around. It was pretty sweet, and she kept, she was like, I was up this uh, truck, and I was cranking some music, and I wasn't even squashing. I was just camp. I've had the most stuff happen when I've just been camping the last few years, it seems like. You think about the witnesses, most of the time they're just camping. Yeah. yeah. And so I still don't think, I mean, I mean, I was I was squatting my therm and stuff like that, but I had audio recorders, but I didn't hear, I, was, I wasn't even, it was daylight still, and she's like, she came back all freaked out. She said, did you hear that big branch get snapped? And I'm like, no. She goes, how could you not hear that? Because the music was up. She's like, you should you should have heard it over that it was so loud it was crazy and there's movement over there i was like really that's weird and that happened three days in a row shit i gotta pee so bad hold on a second cliff okay i chugged all that water these are the golden moments on the podcast by the way yeah golden <laughs> oh yeah golden these are the golden shower moments oh beer Beer on a day off is nice, but beer on a work day is mandatory. I wish. Oh, yeah, so we were just talking about... How could you not hear that noise? Yeah. So she came back to camp going, how could you not hear that? It was this huge crash. And, and she goes, it sounded like a deliberate snap. And she said it was huge. It sounded like, you know, at least as thick as your arm, the branch. I was like... God, how did I, you know, I'm surprised I missed that. And the next evening she went down, and this is all, you know, late afternoon, sun's behind the mountains. But it's, it's like it is right now. Yeah. Twilight kind yeah. of, but early twilight, still light. And the same thing happened three days in a row. And then on, on this, the second, or I can't remember if it was the second or third night now, she woke me up because there was a pair of red eyes glowing out, looking in at the trailer. Because I see with the, the blinds open. Oh, okay. I was going to say, how did she know that if you're inside? Yeah, I, I keep the blinds open so I can see outside. Mm -hmm. And she woke me up, and I was she knew not to wake me up because I was, hadn't been sleeping good. Yeah. And she woke, and I was tired. I said, I said, don't wake me up unless it's on fire. And she woke, she goes, there's someone out there staring at us. Their eyes are shining. I, by the time I got up, they were they were gone. She but she looked at it. She said she watched it for ten minutes. She said she wanted to make sure she, that there were there were eyes. Mm, yeah. Before she woke me up, but she said they were blinking every once in a while. Nice. But she's no dummy. Yeah, but <laughs> well, she does date me. <laughs> <laughs> There's that, and then so then I got up and I went out there with the the flashlight, you know, and looked in therm and didn't see nothing. And there, and there were some branches, and, she, and I said, "Well, how high was it?" And it was she said a foot above my head, mm -hmm. and it, it could have been an owl maybe sitting there, maybe. And I'm wondering, yeah. Then so then 
so she kept hearing these every time she went down to go wash dishes at the creek she kept hearing these big branches break like um, she said it sounded intentional but then on the fourth or fifth day this dead there was a lot of dead there had been a fire gone through there and it like they had one of those beetle infestations maybe mm, right but this big deadfall branch fell from about 40 feet up and goes crashing down mm. she goes did you hear that i'm like yeah that was a deadfall and she goes well, was that what you heard that is she's like um no oh yeah. so maybe so as a miss then i was like God, maybe she saw an owl yeah um, like she might not I go, I, i've been talking about how witnesses uh, with their interpretation of what's going on i'm less and less go not gullible but i'm way more skeptical about stuff now than after she she, after she got freaked out by that deadfall branch mm-hmm. i was just like god now i can't even trust her no <laughs> well no she was right she heard a big crashing noise and right. she didn't say a bigfoot pushed a tree down right no yeah at least she, i mean she did discriminate between observation and interpretation you know yeah. but really i mean you hear a tree drop man you get excited no matter what no, it she is. said i she goes she goes that's not what i heard i didn't hear it falling crashing down she said i heard a snap oh okay and then and then motion she said not not coming down like that she i don't know so i just made me think because at first i thought man it sounds like we'd have squatches around here i was like what's the odds of that having squatches here because didn't seem like a great spot or anything for that can't tell man i mean yeah. bigfoot's live in some pretty lonely weird spots yeah so i don't know so that was i didn't have anything happen oh we did hear the first night when we were outside the park um we got there late it was, it was already dark so i just pulled over on a forest service road we took the first pull out to the camp in and you know we were just unpacking and had the music going and heard this weird whoopy owl kind of sound that was real loud and real strange by the time i got back to the stereo did it about four or five times by the time i got back over to the stereo and turned it down and she thought it sounded real odd too by the time i I got it turned down uh it never did it again when once i turned off the the music right right but um it was right at the entrance to it was right it was the first it was the last forest service road before you get into the boston national park Mm -hmm. and the first cabin spot you could sleep like a hundred something yards down on the right it was just right there and the 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 sounds came from uh right back by the main highway into the park there so i i don't i mean I didn't hear it good enough to make a, any determination, but it was it was real odd. I had my recorder sitting there. I hadn't turned it on yet because I thought, well, we'll set up the trailer for the next. It just crank music for like 15, 20 minutes and then turn it off and run the recorders. And Yeah. Which was stupid because I know that a lot of that stuff happens right when you pull in. <laughs> yeah. As you know, like how many knocks have you heard like, right when you get there? You know? Right when you get there or right when somebody leaves. Yeah. This is the number one or number two times. Yeah, because yeah. I, I try to usually be my, – my, when I talk to other people, I'm like, have it recording before you even get out of the vehicle. Do you record when you step out of the vehicle? Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oop, did you get him? No. Oh, you just tried to uh, crush a moth. Oh, that was a moth? I think so. Like a little tiny one? I don't know what it was. It looked yeah. like someone was going to bite me. Oh, no. No. <laughs> bite my clothes. You bite my clothes. Eat my hair. I haven't talked about anything exciting yet. Let's see. What else did I do? Oh, they don't want exciting stuff. They just want to. They want to <laughs> hang out with Cliff and Bubs. Let's see what else. Uh, what else did I have happen? Anything? Well, did you see any of the volcanic stuff in Lassen? Oh yeah, it's like the bubbling mud. Uh huh. Um, yeah, so it's four geologic zones coming together. I don't remember all the names, but it it's really cool looking. I mean, it's it's like you see like in just as you look out over the, some of these viewpoints, you're looking at totally different geologic formations and t- soil types mm. and coloration merging together 
and it's it's pretty spectacular. I mean, it's no Yellowstone or anything. You know, it's not it's not. I mean, it's beautiful, but it, it's in a real compact area. It's not like Yosemite where it's spread out over miles and miles and miles. This is it was a it was a huge super volcano like the Caldera. Basically, mm-hmm. the whole Mount Lassen National Park, all the peaks were all part of one giant crater. Oh, really? Back in the day, that was like 13 miles across. Now, if I remember, I, I, it's been many years since I've been there. I think since 97, if I remember right. Um, and I remember some sort of display there, photographs of the uh, of the mountain exploding. Didn't it erupt in the 20th century at some point? Like in the oh, 20s? Oh, 1926, I think. 26, yeah. is that what I remember? Yeah, had, yeah. yeah. I, I was surprised how much footage they had of that. Well, yeah, for cameras, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is fantastic. That like, what a, a catastrophic event, you know. And, uh, and yeah. you know, sitting here on our back porch, looking at the tops of a volcano, you know, we can see Mount Hood from right here. I've often wondered, like, man, what if that thing blew? What would that look like? What would that sound like? Would I be able to feel some sort of like percussive thing in the air, like when it went? And you feel that five hundred degree. Blast. Yeah, five hundred degree. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> it makes Southern California seem like <laughs> a freezer. Yeah. Uh, I've spoken to people who um, witnessed Mount St. Helens oh, yeah. exploding back in 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I asked, and my question, like, did you hear it? And not one person has said yes. Really? Yeah. I, I would have thought that even from 100 or 100 miles away, so I think it's about 100 miles from Portland. Um, I think that I thought you'd be able to hear something like that. It's, I mean, it blew off the first top, what, 1,500 feet of the mountain or yeah, something. Yeah, something it's, like that. Yeah, I, I, but I guess not. I don't know. Uh, so interesting. That was that was impressive. I love watching those videos of that thing. I remember watching that in school. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, was there any? Other... Oh, you wanted to talk about the somebody uh, Bible thing you're saying? Oh yeah, yeah. I wanted to find something that knew about because people talk about uh, biblical things and how it relates to now, like giants. Because mm-hmm. I've been reading about giants some, you know. Yep. Yep. And uh, been reading more about giants than Dogman even. Oh really? Yeah. Well, that that you know, you're the one who wanted to go beyond with this podcast, so. <laughs> The giant thing really, I mean, I, it's easier for me to believe Dogman than giants even, you know? Yeah, and you know those giant skeletons that are supposedly whisked away to the Smithsonian and all that sort of jazz? Um, the thing about those that bothers me is uh, is they're not designed, they're human proportioned. You know, they're, they're human proportioned and they're, if they are like errant, like if they're, they're individual specimens of people who got real big with gigantism or whatever that thing is. I get it. That's fine. But a race of these things cannot be real because the skeletons, most of which have been, by the way, have been proven to be hoax, right. hoaxes, by the way, but there are some that they don't have a record of, so who knows if it's right. real or not. Um, and I read that in an anthropological blog, by the way. This guy was trying to debunk these things. He says, yeah, but to be fair, there's some out there that I can't say are, are fake. Right. And I like that. You know, um, He debunks the ones he can, and the other one he just kind of throws his hands up and says, I don't know. But they are not proportioned like something that would work well biomechanically. Right, they're too skinny. They're too skinny. Like the, yeah, there's, it's just the, yeah, there's just lots of things wrong with them. The center of gravity, they're not thick and robust. The center of gravity is all wonky. They're, they're like humans just blown up real big. And that doesn't fly. You know, when you blow a human up to a certain size, you have to have certain biomechanical redesigns to the skeletal system or it's going to fail. Like the Sasquatch foot. Like the, yeah, like the, like the Sasquatch in general. Yeah. You know, the Sasquatch in general. Um, one of the critiques of the Patterson-Gimlin film uh, back in the early days was that uh, it, had a, it seemed to be a female because it had, you know, boobs, but uh, had a male-like hips. And that yeah. couldn't, that shouldn't be true. 
but they weren't thinking about the biomechanics. Um, Patty stands about six and a half feet tall or so. Most recent, that's the most recent estimate that I'm aware of from Bill Munns. And at six and a half feet tall, she's about 400, 500 pounds. And when you have that much weight being carried by that skeletal structure, one of the necessary redesigns would be to narrow the pelvis. So um, it, focus, it, it centers the gravity in one spot so she doesn't teeter-totter back and forth as the weight shifts from the left and the right. That's also why they have a more or less tightrope walk as well. It's to center the gravity in the middle so she doesn't teeter-totter back and forth. Um, and that's one of the redesigns, and that's why she's shaped like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I know the Giants, I've looked at, I'm reading this one book, the Cult the Definitive book on it, the, the one that came out last year, I think, maybe it's two years now. Okay. But uh, there's there's definitely things that the Smithsonian got and just stashed. I mean, yeah. Undoubt, large bones, like from those Ohio mounds areas, you know, the Ohio mounds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, there, there's there's quite a few examples, and then some of the other ones. Some of the giants are only seven foot tall, six ten, seven foot, maybe seven and a half, and those, you know, just obviously large people. But um, talking to Ron Moorhead, he works with that guy, that one documentary filmmaker, and he's the guy that did the documentary about the giants of Can- the giant of Kandahar. I don't know about it. That killed the uh, U.S. Special Forces, and the U.S. Special Forces went in and killed it and brought it out on a transport chopper. I don't know anything about this. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a famous story back, I don't want to give dates because I think I'm wrong, but I think it was at least 10 years ago. Oh, okay, I, so the, the end of the 20th century, early Oh, no, it's Afghan War. Oh, okay. So Taliban War, whatever you want to call it. Um, they were in there, and these guys were on patrol, and I think the whole platoon got wiped out. The whole platoon got wiped out by this thing. It was giant redhead. I believe they said it ended up being 14 feet tall and 900 pounds. What? Yeah, so these, so they sent out another uh, uh, special forces unit up there, and the thing charged out of the cave and just gutted, just stuck a spear or a sword. I think it was a spear through the gut of a U.S. Uh, special forces, killed him instantly. Then these guys just unloaded on it with, like, M60s and, you know, whatever they had, grenades. and. Uh-huh. And killed it, and then they flew in a helicopter, put it in a in a cargo net, and flew it out. And then put it on a C one thirty or a C five, and flew it back to the U S. But Ron's talked to two of the guys personally that were there. That were they verified these guys were in the service war over there. And then um, I heard Wes Germer from Sasquatch Chronicles. He met two of the guys in person, talked to them, and he said he verified it as much as he could, and then he believes them. Well, I'll be darned. I, yeah, none of this has uh, been brought to my attention. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like I, it does sound crazy. It it sounds totally unverifiable. I called Ron when I heard him. T- I heard Ron talk about it. I think it was it might have been on Sasquatch Chronicles. Was he the guest on that one? I guess. Or yeah, I heard Ron being a guest, and then I called him because just some things I've heard about. Uh, he, he's all into the. How do you say it? The Paracas skulls? Oh, oh, from South America. Yeah. Yeah, he is into that stuff. The elongated skulls with mm-hmm. the red hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I call him because there's some information about um, the red-headed carnivore, uh, red-headed cannibals from the South Pacific Polynesia. Mm. Um, like, Tintin gets red in his beard 
Well, you know, the, um, when, when you mummify a human or actually any animal with a dark hair, it eventually turns red because whatever that is in the hair, the melatonin or not melatonin, melanin, I don't know what it is, but right. there's, there's uh, some protein or I don't know. I, I'm, I'm talking out my, my, both sides of my mouth here because I don't know what the, the science behind it is. But I do know that if you leave somebody out in the dry condition for 5,000 years, their hair turns red. Right. You know, even though it was probably once black. Oh, that's good. Oh, that explained like the, the tombs and the pyramids over there. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. there, but there's still you see redheads in Samoa and Tonga. Sure. And you know, uh, Micronesia, and they always said that those redheads were the cannibals. And there's this famous Samoan king back in like the 1700s, I think, and he had one of those long, elongated skulls, like hmm. like the whatever they say, Paracas. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he was a redhead, and he was a big, gnarly cannibal. Huh, man. I mean, I think I have a hard time finding hats that fit. Yeah, <laughs> they look like the cone heads almost. <laughs> See, there's a lot. There's a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, that's. I've been. So, anyways, I've been looking for. And you know, Ron actually is pretty good on the Bible stuff. He is. Yeah, he's a total Christian. He's into it. Yeah, yeah. So he. he we should get Ron on here. Besides Sierra Sounds, I want to. I want to get up on the. He. He's in. On, he's up on the Giants. Oh, yeah, he's into all sorts of new stuff. I mean, the Sierra Sounds were, I mean, that's what he's most and best known for, of course. But, like, he has all sorts of weird stuff up his sleeves. He's, uh, it, like, all, his newest book is Quantum Bigfoot, I think, yeah, you know. Yeah. And um, so he's got all sorts of uh, weird ideas and theories and stuff. He's a joy to talk to because he's smart, he's personable. Um, his found the, the the weird stuff he's into has a an interesting foundation and in how he came across it and um, his hypotheses are novel. Yeah, he's a great guy to talk to. And I think, he's, I mean, a lot of people think he's way too far out now, but everything he's done and gone into, he can he can explain clearly why. Yeah, and it makes sense. It's not like illogical. It's from his experiences, it's totally logical. Well, yeah, and, and you know, I may, I may not agree with some of this stuff, but who cares? I love the man. Yeah, you know, like again, that it's so important to be able to get along well and just enjoy the company of good people, no matter what they believe in. You know, if you can't handle somebody with a different opinion, that probably means you're an asshole, not them. Really? <laughs> Except for you, Bobo. <laughs> Right, <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, you know what else I was gonna say is I've I've been getting a lot of photos the last week. Oh, of Bigfoots? Well, maybe or, casts or footprints or something. Um, both. But um, I got a couple trail cam photos. Uh, this guy sent me three daylight ones. No, huh. and one of them, I mean, it looks like the arm. It's something big and hairy. It's seven, the camera's seven and a half feet off the ground. Uh, it's in a really, as you know, it's in a very squatchy area. And one of them, it looks like it could be the eye, but it's at a, it doesn't make sense when you look at it like morphologically, like because mm. you see the arm. It looks, it looks like I'm assuming it's the arm is up in front of the camera for all three shots, and then you see in the one side you see it looks like the head tilted all the way back, with like where it's looking straight up in the air, and you see part of one eye. But I can't say for sure. I don't even know what what the animal is. Uh, I guess one of those, you know. Uh, and I've seen, I think you have as well, seen more than our fair share of things that could be Bigfoots that are really close to the camera. Yeah. You can't tell what they are. But they also could be squirrels, you know, or right. bear or possums or any or raccoons. Because if, when it's close to the camera, what do you do with that? I mean, it could be anything. Right. Yeah, that's the hard part. But uh, you did show me that other one, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, the washed out one. The washed out one. Yeah, that one's much more interesting to me. But the thing that was really interesting is that it's a spot I know. 
I mean, I don't know exactly where because I haven't looked at the GPS yet for it. But um, that whole area is just thick with Bigfoot reports. Yeah. And in fact, one of the, the one of the um, coolest things that have, has crossed my desk since I've opened the museum is this dude came in he, and um, we were talking about this watershed, you know, the Bull Run watershed, um, which is, you know, a few ridges over from where I live. Um, it's a big off-limits area that supply uh, that supplies the city of Portland, Oregon with their water. So no one's allowed in there, you know, for national insecurity reasons, right. you know. Um, and uh, But that's where all the Bigfoot reports in the area are centered around, which makes sense. It's like the Mill Creek watershed outside of Walla Walla right? or any of these other off-limits watersheds. There's Bigfoots in there because they don't care about if you're allowed in there or not. Right. You know, they just go in there anyway and they aren't going to catch them. Um, and so there's Bigfoot reports all around the watershed and almost none from within it. You know, I say almost none because I've gotten a couple from people who worked for the water department of Portland. Right. And they told me about what's going on inside there. So I know there's Bigfoots inside there. But um, but that spot of that trail cam picture is not far away from there. Um, but one of the coolest things that's happened is that this guy came in and says, yeah, I, a friend of mine lives right next to the watershed. You know, he, he kind of told me where the house is. And I go, oh, man, I know that house. I've driven because I've driven the, the entire watershed boundary. You know, I, I know what's on the outside of that. And I know, you know, what the ins and outs of the watershed. And I've never really gone in there or anything like that. That's illegal. I would never do anything illegal, of course. But um, I know where all the houses are around there because, you know, I want to try to meet these people. And um, this one house, uh, I, I've been watching it for years thinking, man, if that goes on the market, I'm buying it. If that goes on the market, I'm buying it. They got to have stuff going on. Well, this guy knows that guy. You know, oh. and um, he goes, oh, yeah, I told him about the museum and he's going to try to come in and introduce himself to you and whatever his name's so and so. I'm not going to tell his name right now. What's the, how much is the house going for? Well, it's not it's not being sold. Oh. I would have bought it if it was. I would have done anything to buy that house um, because of the area and the location and whatnot. But um, he's he apparently the guy has been to that guy, like the guy who came into the shop who was telling me about this other gentleman. He says, oh, yeah, I've been to his house for like a bonfire. And we heard him like right outside the property. And like we go, and, then, and I told the guy, hey, is that what I think it is? He goes, yeah, they're just they're around, you know. We we see them sometimes. It's like no big deal. Yeah, they find footprints in the garden. Yeah, they they look inside the windows. They bang on the outside of the house sometimes. Yeah, we hear them every so often. And when we have friends over, they come by out, and you know that sort of you know. It's like man, man, man. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Man, you can. If you if you know the area and you know what you're looking for and you know the history of reports, you can actually purchase a house with a built-in habituation or long-term witness situation. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And I was looking at that house for years and it never went up for sale. And I finally bought my property, which I'm not disappointed at. Don't, right. don't get me wrong, but um, nothing like what that spot would be. Right. That's too bad. But the the guy is supposedly rad. He's totally cool. So, um, and he's supposed to come in and introduce himself to me at some point. So all I, I mean, that's only a, a 10 minute drive from here. Um, all I need to know is that guy, that guy's name and his phone number. And if he, and he can have my number and if anything goes on, I'll just drop by and cast some prints and Dude, keep track of these things. That'd be so other Hey, did I show you those pictures that I just got of the, the goat that got torn apart? Um, you did. Well, you didn't show it to me, but I, I did. You did send me pictures of a goat that got torn apart, and I couldn't think of any other reason why you would have sent me that, unless it was a Bigfoot thing. Yeah. Oh, I didn't send you the story with it. No, no, just just pictures of a goat that was ripped apart. It's <laughs> <laughs> just another like email. A bigger, like a money bigger email. <laughs> I know, like Matt. You know, um, here's here's a story for our listeners that you might enjoy. Um, Matt, uh, when 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 my mom died. 
uh, a few years ago. Like Matt was doing his best to, uh, you know, show sympathy and whatnot because he knows it was a hard time for me. And, you know, I know a lot of people have trouble with Matt, but at the end of the day, he's a brother to me. You know, he really is. And, uh, and Ed Bobo, I think, as well. Oh, yeah. You know, he, he's road family, you know. Um, and when my mom died, he knew that I was down and stuff like that. So he sent me an email to cheer me up, supposedly. Because he, he also knows Sochi. He met my dog Sochi because we got the dog on the road and rescued her from the woods and all this sort of stuff. And so he sent me his whole cliff. I know, I know you're in a hard time right now. He sent me an email. I know you're going through a hard time right now with your mom passing and things like that. So here's a video to cheer you up. And it was like these Ukrainian farmers going through their field with pitchforks, uh, um, going through the hay and tossing hay aside, being, fa being followed by a pack of terriers. And in the hay were rats and other rodents. And as the people scooped hay aside and threw it off to the side, rats would be in there and the terriers would go crazy and go kill the rats. And they were just killing dozens of these things. And I, I just looked at this aghast and go, oh my God. And I, but then I pictured Matt laughing about it and thinking oh this will cheer cliff up yeah and then that cheered me up <laughs> dude i got super pumped up on that one <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll put it up on the uh youtube page but i got three photos of the goat and one thing to note was i thought well was the neck broken and her husband he didn't do the best job photographing it uh he just took three photos from different all the same angle just different distances mm-hmm but it would have been nice to see some, you know, close-ups on some of the other side. But it, to me, it really looks like it got pulled apart. And some of the people that I put on my Facebook page, like, that knew about butchering and, and quartering animals and all that, they were saying that looked totally pulled apart. But, you know, you could tie the leg off to a post and pull it the other end with a truck and rip it off that way. Or, yeah. but, the, but the skin was degloved on it. Mm. So I'll put it on YouTube and see if anyone out here has... Uh, Real, a lot of experience with that sort of thing. If they had anything to add to that, you know, Meldrum showed me this photograph a few weeks ago um, of this deer that was literally ripped in two. Um, really? Yeah, like for, from right. You know, I'm not much on the deer anatomy. I don't know the right the, the right terms, but you know, like where the back legs hit, like you know, like what is that? The haunch. The pelvis? Well, yeah, yeah. So like, right, right, like a picture. Um, the gut area right in front of where the back legs are, okay. it was ripped apart there. And then the back of the animal was up in a tree about maybe five or six, seven feet off the ground, not very high up. And the legs were brought through the, like the crotch of the tree underneath the branches. Uh -huh. And then um, the front of the animal, it looked like it had been ripped in two, like right again, right in front of, you know, the gut area where the, 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 the where the back legs are and the rest of it was on the ground. And you can see like the, like the innards stretched out from the back portion of the, like to the front porch portion of it. And like some of the skin was holding on the thing had been ripped apart and then the back legs, like, woven in, or not really woven, but shoved up between the crotch of these branches in the tree. And, like, no Whoa. scratch marks on it. Just, like, again, just ripped apart. He goes, hey, what do you think of this, Cliff? And I go, oh, my God. <laughs> what is that? What did that? He goes, I don't know what did that. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Well, he let you put those pictures on our YouTube channel? I don't have a copy of them. He just kind of showed them to me on his phone. You know, since Meldrum's got a smartphone, man, he's all over pictures and stuff like that. I remember I used to trip and he'd pull out this flip phone. I'd be like, damn, Totally. Jeff. Totally. Like, he, he had a flip phone until, like, last year. Last year. And the only other person with a flip phone I know is Derek Randall's. <laughs> but I heckled him pretty hard about it. He goes, I'm never getting one of those. Never getting one of those. Yes, you will, Derek. If you listen to this, yes, you will. And once you do get one, you're like, 
what was I holding out for? <laughs> and Derek texts on his flip phone, too. Remember texting on a flip phone? Like, hey, you got to hit that button four oh, times yeah. to get to the letter S That's or something? Right, I used this phone one day that had to send a text because my phone was out of batteries. Mm -hmm. Like, this is insane. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Derek. He's like a teenager now just texting all the time. Love that guy. Haven't talked to him very much lately, though. I got to give him a call. Got him. Did you get him? Yeah. Nice. Mosquito? I think it was. I hate those things. It's amazing how few mosquitoes you got out here. Blessed, man. I, I don't know if it's just the shape of the, the valley I'm in and it blows them all out of here or what. No, dude. It's got to be the swallows and the bats. There are a lot of swallows and bats here. Yeah. But it's amazing. You live right on the river. You live in a rainforest. It's lush green. I mean, there's a ton of water here and mm -hmm. there's no mosquito. I sleep outside with, I never sleep outside without some kind of like tent or something, you know, keep the mosquitoes because I'm just. They just feast on me. Yeah. And I can sleep out here. No no worries. No, we're very, very lucky here. That's yeah, the water's awesome. moving pretty quick, though. They don't have a chance to, to. Yeah, it's like a canyon. Yeah, totally, totally. But still, I mean, like your neighbor's house, you drive by, he's got those pipes coming out of the side of his hill, which is water pouring yeah. out not 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. There's water coming out of the hill right there. Yeah, my other neighbor down there, he gets mosquitoes too sometimes. But uh, he said before he started clearing his land to build his home, there were something like seven or ten springs on his property, just like just like wet spots in the, in the ground that came up. Damn. Yeah, so he has all sorts of French drains throughout his property. But up here, I mean, I, I live on a hill, you know. There's not a lot of flat land for water to gather. Maybe that has something to do with it. Our big movie debut is coming up here soon. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. It's Momo. At CryptidCon. Right, right. Seth Breedlove's brand new film. He's breaking genres, stereotypes at this point. Um, he's doing something brand new that's never been done, in, from what I understand, at least. I haven't seen the movie yet. But he's doing something that's never been done before in, like, a Bigfoot sort of movie. He's going to just push new grounds, and, you know, we're very lucky to be in it. It's going to be awesome. He sent me the movie, and I didn't watch it because I want to watch it on the big screen in Kentucky at the midnight show. Yeah, the yeah. premiere. Me too. Me too. I haven't seen it yet either, but I want to watch it because I want to see our scenes. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that because I mean, his small town monsters. I know we've mentioned him on the show before, and we're going to get him on here. He said he'll be a guest. Yeah, yeah. But there's, uh, he just passed a million and a half viewers on Amazon. No kidding. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, for his movie. So that's great. But I, I really, and maybe it's because I know how small his budget is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just love his movies. I love his movies anyways. And like when Lyle Blackburn's in them and mm -hmm. narrating and stuff, I like that too. But uh, just knowing how great a product those guys put out for so little resources. I mean, it's pretty inspiring, really. Yeah, and I, I like his style in general, you know, like yeah. the, the Bigfoot ones that he did, that series of four, those were cool, um, but I, I was really impressed with the Chestnut Ridge one. Yeah. And forgive me, if Seth's listening, I don't remember the name, the proper name and stuff, but, you know, the Chestnut Ridge one is awesome because he, I talked to Seth about that. He was next to me at the, the that, um, at Lauren Coleman's uh, conference, you uh -huh. know, so we, I talked to him about, hey, I saw that, I really enjoyed it, and he, he and I are a big fan of, like, the schlocky 50s and 60s UFO right, movies. Right. And he tried to intertwine that into his the, the feel of that particular film. Um, and I think he succeeded, and that's why I loved it, and that's why he loves it, too. Exactly. You know, now that I don't have cable or satellite, just the rabbit ears, I get, a, I get like, three of those channels that's all old movies. Like, yeah. And the one channel just plays basically old sci-fi. Oh, awesome. That's the only channel you need. Uh, well, I, try to, I don't watch it. I just feel like I'm too busy to watch TV anymore, really, too yeah, much. Yeah, no kidding, yeah. But uh, I just feel like I'm wasting too much. Yeah, once you get that past that halfway point in your life, you start realizing, I don't got time for this. Ain't no one got time for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, 
Yeah, I just I love they're they're pretty awesome. You know, like, like their space age, like what they have for space age computers, are still pushing like switchboard operator from the fifties or something. You know, kind yeah, of looking thing. Yeah. Uh huh. I love I, that's what I love how cheesy this stuff is. I love it. I, the cheesier, the better. Yeah. I love I love my movies like a good fondue. <laughs> I like my movies like a good cliff humor. <laughs> Terrible and cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond.